school of life that taught the wisdom of waiting on God and obeying him in the moment and not getting so worked up about this and that and my plan, but understanding if I just obey him today, today, not a, I'm not worried about yesterday. There's nothing, there's nothing in yesterday except for arrogance over past accomplishments or bitterness about past defeats. And there's nothing tomorrow except for worry. God is in the moment. And if we just obey him now, he can use us in phenomenal ways. Hey, welcome to the Kindling Fire. My name is Troy Mangum. St. Ignatius said, the glory of God is man fully alive. Jesus said, it is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. This podcast is here to bring God glory through you becoming fully alive and you bearing much fruit or having powerful results in your life. I believe you can use your unique gifts and talents to change the world. If you listen to this show and read our blogs, you will be inspired to take your own journey of faith to become a man or woman who is fully alive, making an impact in the world around you. I interview people that I think are awesome that are doing that today to inspire and to challenge you. You can do the same. Let's get rolling. Today on the Kindling Fire, I am very excited to have Ken Harrison on the show. Thank you for joining, Ken. Oh, thank you very much for having me. So Ken is the current chairman of the board of Promise Keepers and the CEO of Waterstone. And can you uh, tell the listeners a little bit more about uh, both of those? Well, Promise Keepers um, was NFL Stadium events. Back in the 90s, we had 7 million men go through those, you know, sold-out events. And the guys that are older, remember, you couldn't even get tickets. And then um, it kind of culminated in Stand of the Gap in Washington, D.C. in October of 97, where 1.4 million men gathered together in D.C. And uh, it was the biggest event in the history of Washington, D.C. And so we're coming back with Promise Keepers uh, to AT&T Stadium in Dallas, Fort Worth, home of the Dallas Cowboys. July 31st and August 1st of 2020. That's the Promise Keeper side. And then on the Waterstone side, um, it's, a, it's a Christian foundation. We give away a million dollars a week. And so we are a series of donor advised funds and also trusts for people. We essentially, in, in a nutshell, help people take complicated assets and turn them into kingdom giving so they can maximize their tax benefits. We save them a whole lot of headache. And then uh, they can take a big fund, or if they're selling a piece of real estate or a business, stick it into a donor advised fund, get the tax break in the year that they need it, but then give it away when they're ready. Hey guys, I'm going to jump in really quick into this interview and just let you know we're going to jump right into what's going on with Promise Keepers today. The Promise Keepers um, has really become huge, so it's being, been completely rebuilt. So a lot of people are listening to this going, what? I didn't know it was still around, and it really almost wasn't. But as I've completely rebuilt it now, we get thousands of emails per week, prayer requests, people needing to talk. And, and those guys, the ones that are really um, specific in certain ways, I'll just call them. You know, they'll, they'll call here, they'll email wanting advice, and I'll just call them and talk through and pray with them on stuff. And so I, I really you spend a lot of time speaking to a lot of men of all ages and really hearing what the issues are. And, and by the way, a lot of women too. Deep, deep wounds that women have from what men have done to them. Yeah. Uh, really, it's just so sad. And so that's why we're so excited to bring it back because it's so desperately needed. We, we need to give men permission to be men again. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that that is absolutely true. Now, one of the things that that I really and it, it's really true for men and women, but just speaking to men for a moment. Um, one of the things that I deeply believe scripture teaches is is men being on point. Right? Being at the helm or being at the 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 place of risk, be it decision making, be it where the enemy's uh, attacks are the fiercest or whatever, but it's that point position for the benefit of those that are behind them. And I believe, based on what I read through in your books, you've kind of been in that in different positions, in different roles. Uh, Is that true? Uh, Many, many different roles, yeah. So how did, let's just start with the question of how did the Lord start to really forge in you this desire or this call of leadership? Well, that's a really good question. Um, you know, having been raised in the church, raised in a very legalistic, um, rules-oriented type of religion, but really loving the Lord, and I talk a little bit about this in the book, I really thought out Scripture, and I really wanted to know it. And so when I was 12 years old, I started reading the Bible three chapters a day, every day, no matter what. Um, and that, that continued on. And so I really got to know God's Word very well at an early age. And what, what I really found, I was shocked, of course, as I was a young adult, how little people knew the Bible, because I knew it so well. And I was just amazed at how much people didn't know. And then I would go to church and see the Bible really not being taught. And so I think a lot of guys say, I really, um, I want to do something big for Jesus. I want to really be counted. And that's great. That's a great thing. But I would say, um, number one, Make sure you know the Bible. I mean, if you don't know the Bible, you're just wide open for all kinds of attacks from the enemy. You know, we're warned in 1 Timothy and in Titus, uh, don't put a young believer in a place of authority in the church because he's, he's too open to temptation, to attacks from Satan, to the winds of doctrine that blow this way and that. And, and that meant grab men that know the Bible. And so I, I would just warn guys, you know, out there going, I really want to do something big for Jesus. Well, the first thing you need to know is you really, really need to know God's Word. Mm-hmm. And it's really not that hard to know it because the Holy Spirit in you will direct you and will guide you. Just pray, genuine prayer every day when you open up the God's Word saying, Lord, teach me today. And come, come at it with an open heart, an open mind. Don't come at it with a closed mind of, well, I learned this from my you know, pastor and I learned that. No, your pastor's not right. The Bible's right. And one of the things I teach people when I teach them scripture all the time is we need to make sure we start off with this basic principle. We don't change scripture to meet our worldview. We change our worldview to meet scripture. So if scripture says something and you think something different, then you're wrong every time. And we need to come with that sort of attitude, not with an attitude of, well, I'm going to help people understand God a little better because he didn't quite say in scripture the way he'd like. It's killing the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the scriptures that's coming to mind when you're sharing is that uh, it's in Psalms. I want to say 17 or 18, but it's not 18 because I just read that today. But it says, he makes the simple wise through the word, right? And so you actually, if you're wanting to, you know, in quote unquote, up your game, right? You know, you, you, you aspire to, to do something big for Jesus or do something big in the world. Well, if you want God's wisdom on living life at its maximum potential, 
know his word. That's right. You know, there's so many lies coming at us right now. If we don't know his word, we don't know what to anchor. We don't. We don't have the truth as an anchor to us. We left, as so many people are today, wondering. Well, gosh, I wonder. I wonder if there are 47 different genders. I thought there were two, but maybe there's 47. <laughs> and if you're solid with scripture, you know, no, there's two. And this is just another one of Satan's lies to destroy the image of God to people so that we don't know who God really is because we know God created male and female, male and female, he created them in his image. And so a, a fully masculine man and a fully feminine woman together are the image of God. Neither one is on his or her own. But so we see them then Right after that, we're told, and the two will come together as one flesh. And so it's a married couple walking with the Lord, submitting to each other, are a representation of who God is. When we get into all this nonsense, then we, we don't know who God is, and therefore we don't know who we are. And then we're off into exactly where we find ourselves today, where right now boys from 15 to 19 commit suicide 450% more than girls do. Because boys feel worthless, they feel without hope, and Satan is having a field day right now. Mm-hmm. And why has he been able to have such a field day? Because men aren't standing up for God's word. And why are they not? Because they don't know his word. Mm-hmm. The other reason is, actually, because they're cowardly, because they're locked in sin. They're, looking, they're, they're locked up in pornography, they're watching nonsense. Um, I know I'm preaching here a little bit, but <laughs> I can't believe guys have HBO in their homes. Why in the world would any Christian have HBO in his house? It is nothing but a bunch of filth. And to fill your mind up with that, God's Word says, dwell on things that are beautiful and pure. I'm supposed to dwell on His, but we're looking at that garbage, and then we think we're actually going to stand up courageously for what's right. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's, a good, that's, that's a good word. So I want to talk about the elements of being a king. Obviously, you wrote this book. You're talking about being a servant king. Talk, talk a little bit about what you've learned along the way about, about that role of, of kingship and, and how to be a good king. Um, what are the elements that the scripture teaches about those that find themselves sort of in charge? Yeah, so after I left the LAPD... Um got involved in business, and God, I talk a little bit about in the book, I just hit my knees and claimed the promise of James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask his Father in heaven who gives generously, and I did lack wisdom in business, and he did give it to me generously, and quickly found myself in leadership, and then a CEO of a, of a big company in the U.S., and then I sold that um, in a large deal to an international conglomerate, and then I stayed around there. Um, valuation company across the globe. And so I've had a chance to be in leadership in many positions. That was before Promise Keepers and before Waterstone. And what I've seen is um, one of the best things that a leader has is empathy, which sounds a little odd. But the ability to put yourself in the shoes of the other person and walk around them for a while is, is a huge positive. Because then you know how your words sound to somebody. And so think about being a king and having empathy, what does that mean? Well, for a man in his local position, let's take a married man first. You're the king to your wife, right? Um, wives are, are told to submit to their husbands, not to obey them, not to kowtow to them, but to submit to them. And, and the, a husband is commanded to lead his wife, not to rule over her, but to lead her. And when you have empathy, then you're able to put yourself in her shoes and go, how did what I just sound, said sound to her? 
if I were her, if I was somebody who was in a position of, of getting pregnant, if I was somebody who was in a position of um, all the different things that go along with being a woman, if I was counting on me to make a bunch of money, how would I feel about what I just said? The same with our kids. And so the, the king part is being accountable to leading our wives. We understand that we are the leader of our family, that we are responsible for the spiritual health of our kids and our wives. And when we understand that, then we can flip to the servant side, which is Ephesians 5.25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He was tortured to death for the church. The church is his bride, and, and, and it says in Hebrews that Jesus is um, in heaven looking to present his bride blameless and spotless to his Father in heaven. So that's our attitude, is that we're kings to our family, we're accountable to them to present our wife blameless and spotless to the Father and also to watch over our kids. Now, if we're single, that's the same attitude we have in life. We don't directly have anybody we're in charge of, but we are to stand up for justice, to care for the poor and the oppressed, and to make sure that women get treated respectfully. And so uh, we need to be getting involved in our church, and, and who can we help? How can we help them? What can we do? Lots of guys, it's a great, you know, uh, General Jerry Boykin is one of my best friends. He's the machoist man who ever lived. He was found at Delta Force and all known with great stories. But he's got a great story about how he uh, started helping a single uh, mother's son. He, he saw a boy riding around in his neighborhood many years ago and started to just take that boy under his wing because he thought, well, he's got a single mom. He'd never met the mom, um, but how can I help this kid? And after two years of taking this kid under his wing, he finally met the kid's mom. And a few months later, they were married. And so the bride he's had for <laughs> 30 years, he didn't go out looking for a wife. Now, how many guys out there are, are crying out, Lord, I want to have a wife. And give me a great woman. Well, maybe if you started serving, if you started looking, not about me, but what, how can I pour myself out, out? That's where God's blessings are. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a great story. So one of the things that... Um, I loved in your book is you you did go down the path of humility um, when it came down to this acquisition and this merger and you kind of go into some of those details and you and the thing I want to ask if you can share is how the Lord kind of shifted uh, your confidence to where it was solely on him and if he didn't come through and he didn't provide a way and he didn't provide guidance you know, there was going to be more harm to be had for those that were, you know, looking to you to help them out or their, or your leadership. Yeah, it's a story that I put in the book and the publisher said, Do you, are you sure you want to be this honest? And uh, I said, yeah, I mean, if my stupidity can help other people to grow, then I'd, then I'd love to be. And so, um yeah, because God had given me his wisdom, essentially I'd been able to, to build up a really successful business, and I had partners. But after a few years, my office was making so much money that it was basically swallowing up the rest of the company, and the partners were afraid that I was just going to walk away with the whole company, which I, I wouldn't have. But, you know, people judge others by their own character, and so right. they didn't realize that I would never do that. And so they basically made me the CEO of the company, and they all made themselves my employees. And the idea was I would go and sell uh, the company. And it was good timing. It was 2006. The market was at its very top. And so I did sell the company. 
And when I sold it, I, I kept part of it back. I only sold a majority interest, but I kept some of it, and I kept some to sell to our employees because our employees had for many, many years asked, you know, they'd like to buy in. Could they be a part of it? And so we did the transaction in 2006, and um, things went along for about a year, year and a half. One day God really convicted me that I'd really gotten arrogant with what he'd given me. I mean, the the wisdom that he had provided for me was what had given me the success to do all that. And I was really taking his name in vain. And I talk about it in the book, that's really the true definition of taking the Lord's name in vain. Mm. He's giving credit to somebody else, usually ourselves, for what he did. Yeah. And he had put all that together, and I was puffed up with pride, and I had taken care of my partners, and I would made them wealthy, and on and on and on, me, me, me. And I didn't realize it, because pride is such an incestuous, disgusting thing that when it seeps into us, we can't see it. Yeah. Now we say pride's like a big, thick set of goggles. You know, it distorts how the world, how we really see the world. The thinner those goggles, the more we can see things as they really are. And we all have those goggles on. It's just that the humble, they're just a lot thinner than on on the narcissistic. So <laughs> There's a lot of guys with some really thick goggles walking around, I'll tell you that. <laughs> the older I get, the better I was, man. <laughs> I always laugh. Like I have a bunch of friends that played like pro sports. It's one of the things that makes me laugh more than anything. Like Chad Hennings is on our board. Chad, you know, is a Jets fighter pilot, won three mm-hmm. Super Bowl rings for the Dallas Cowboys, um, state wrestling champion in Iowa. I mean, just a crazy athlete. Yeah. I hear guys tell me they could have played in the NFL and stuff. I'm like, if you had any idea, these guys are so far above the, the normal mortal humans, you know, <laughs> but it's that, that thick goggle of pride that, that we have that, oh, I could have played. No, no you couldn't have. <laughs> I know some of them. <laughs> <laughs> I got to play in a, the Portland Trailblazers in their Pro-Am League when uh, one year we're short a couple of guys, and my brother was a huge basketball star, so he got me. I got to play with all these Division One and NBA players for summer. And I played small college basketball, and I just laugh, and I'm like, those guys were so much faster than me, I didn't even know what was happening. <laughs> like, I just, I just ran around on the court until the game was over. <laughs> you know, well, but that's, I mean, what's so funny is we sit around, I know this is a little off topic, but we sit around with the thick goggles on and say what we would have and could have and, you know, would have done and all this, and then the Lord puts us in this situation, and... And we still walk away with, you know, just kind of like the Lord in his love sometimes humbles us for our own good. You know, and I'd be like, look, just, you know, take a realistic view of yourself. That is scripture right there. Take a realist. Do not be wise in your own eyes. That's a proverb. <laughs> and I'll tell you, and for everybody listening, and I'll get back to the story because the people are going, we'll do what happened. Um, Getting taught humility is always through pain. Yeah. Always through pain. Yeah, it's true. It's really better if you humble yourself. The Bible commands us to humble ourselves. It's a command. It doesn't wait around for it to magically happen. Actively look for ways to humble yourself. And I'm telling you, for everyone listening, it's a whole lot easier than if God has to humble you because that comes with a big spanking, and it's not fun. Yeah. And I've had to go through it a few times because I'm not very bright that way. Yeah. So, um... I sold the company, and we were going down the road, and I'm big on no debt. We had no debt, and we were building all this tech, and we were doing all these things, and the company was growing, and it was all wonderful. And God convinced me that I was getting arrogant. And then I get a call from the holding company um, 
telling me that we were massively in debt. And I'm like, no, we're not. I just had a conversation with our controller. We're all good. Um, oh, he says, I'm sorry. And a week later, he calls me back. Um, and I'm not wrong. You are massively in debt. And now his, his tone was very threatening. I'm like, what is going on? So we did an audit and found out we were massively in debt. And what had happened was the accounting team that had run our firm before we sold, it was a cash accrual business that was very simple. Well, once we'd sold to a public entity, it was gap accounting. And those who understand that is extremely complicated. Our accounting team wasn't up for the task, and they didn't tell me. They just kept running around trying to hide things, hoping that somehow it would all just go away. And since we're a publicly traded company, I was signing off on all these financials that were complete lies. Oh, my gosh. And you talk about being in trouble. Well, worse, I just sold a bunch of our stock to our employees. And it was an internal valuation because it was internally held stock. And basically how, the, how it was calculated, their stock was now worth nothing. Oh my and I've had all these people tell me, man, we mortgaged our house. We took our 401k. We're, we're, we know you're going to build this company into something so great. Stock they paid a whole bunch of money for it was now worth nothing. Then the bond market crashed. <laughs> and uh, the real estate market was, I mean, if, you got, if everybody remembers 2008, it was horrendous. And so I was at the lowest point for six months. God brought me down to the bottom, and I actually flew to the headquarters of the conglomerate to the chairman of the board and offered my resignation and, and he looked at me and said you created this mess you fix it and I was really hoping he'd take my resignation because I didn't know what to do and you know many many years earlier I had given this lady a ride uh, I lived in North County San Diego and I had to take continuing education classes in Los Angeles this woman had called me and said she was flying in and needed a ride from San Diego to L.A. and noticed I was on the class roster and could I give her a ride every day there and back for a week. Now, if you're from Southern California, you realize that's about two hours each way. And I'm like, oh, brother. Uh, but I, of course, wasn't going to turn her down. So I you know, drove <laughs> four hours a day round trip listening to her tell me whatever story she was telling me. And we had a nice week, and then I never thought about her again. Well, Back to, back to our story where our company's in debt, our employee stock is worth zero. None of them realize this, of course. They all think everything's just fine. And I'm flying to Sydney, Australia to help reach out with all the real estate holdings, et cetera, and seeing the, just the mess of the American economy. I come back from Sydney and land in L.A., and my, my voice smells exploding. It was harder to get back 11 years ago. It was harder to get you know, calls in, on Sydney. Yeah. And it was, it was this uh, uh, government agency saying they needed to get a hold of me right away. And so when I called, they're like, where have you been? We've been trying to get a hold of you. We have this huge RFP, which is a contract, that we were waiting for you guys to submit. We've been told to wait for you. I'm like, by who? This gal didn't have any information. She just said, I'll send you all the information on the RFP. She sends it. This was a Friday. So I mobilized the team because, hey, any revenue we could get, I was trying to get at that point. Yeah. And um, mobilized the team that weekend um, to put this RFP together. It was 100 pages long. You gotta love the federal government. And, uh, <laughs> That's a long RFP. Gotta, <laughs> didn't know what I was doing, so I get a call that Monday from this woman. Hello, Ken. Do you remember me? And I said, uh, Gosh, I don't. She said, Well, you were so nice. You gave me a ride, you know, all the way up to Los Angeles all those years ago. And I said, Oh, well, how are you doing? And she tells me, great. She said, you know, I'm working at this government agency now, and we have to shut down all these banks. 
and when we shut down these banks, we're going to shut down several thousand of them, all the real estate that's on these books has to be sold, has to be you know, taken down, and we need someone to handle that for us. And that was the RFP you just submitted. And I was like, what in the world? I mean, that's, this is worth um, unbelievable millions of dollars. And she said, yeah, Ken, that would be right. And I said, well, how is the process of getting picked? She said, well, we've been waiting for you forever. We couldn't get a hold of you. So actually the board meets at, at uh, 2 o'clock today. And, uh, but, you know, whoever the chair says, that's pretty much who the contract's going to go to. And I said, well, can you give me the phone number of the chairman and I'll call him and um, see what I can do? And she says, well, Ken, you're talking to the chair. And so later on that day, she called, gave us the contract. Oh, we ended up making insane amounts of money, paying off all the debt. The employee stock went through the roof, so, so much so that the holding company forcibly called all their stock because it was going so crazy. And I looked like a genius, and I never did anything except for give a lady a ride. I, man, I mean, that's a God story. That is such a God story. I, listeners, you got to capture what he just went through. And by the way, RFP is request for proposal. You've got to capture the understanding that God is for you. God has great things for you. But it's never going to come through pride. It's never going to come yep. through your education. It's never going to come through your talent and skills. It's going to come through your willingness to say, God, you know, and I'm willing to agree with whatever you say. The Bible um, says God's hand is against the haughty, but he loves the humble. And, you know, the great thing about that story is that he gave us massive blessing, massive. At the same time, I was very clear it was all from him. Yeah. He took every bit of credit I could ever taken away from me and just said, Ken, sit back and enjoy the ride. Just obey. And nobody else knew that. Everyone thought I was a genius until I put it in a book and told everybody, no, I'm actually not that bright. I just, <laughs> it was just the Lord. But, um, the, and, and by the way, we're talking now, these years, this was 2009 to 2012. So every company that was owned by that conglomerate was losing money. We were making so much money, we were wiping out all the losses from 42 other companies. That's how much blessing the Lord gave. Well, I just sit back. And that, you know, we talk about wanting to do great things for the Lord. That was, it was the, the school of life that taught the wisdom of waiting on God and obeying Him in the moment and not getting so worked up about this and that and my plan, but understanding if I just obey Him today, Today, not a, I'm not worried about yesterday. There's nothing, there's nothing in yesterday except for arrogance over past accomplishments or bitterness about past defeats. And there's nothing tomorrow except for worry. God is in the moment. And if we just obey him now, he can use us in phenomenal ways. As Jesus said, tomorrow's got enough cares of its own. Just obey me right now, and I'll take it from there. But we have such difficulty, especially as men, because of our pride. Yeah, and... And I tell you, God is a God of abundance. And I'm not just talking about your personal boat. I'm talking about the blessing that he wants to bring through your life to companies, to organizations, to churches, to communities, to families. To, I mean, God's in the business of multiplying favor 
through a man who will humble himself and obey. And the fact that you said we not only blessed those, those employees, but blessed the whole company. I mean, that's a Joseph story, man. God blessed Egypt through Joseph. It wasn't just about Joseph and the Israelites. That's true. That's a great point. I mean, it's just like that is, it's in the Abrahamic covenant and to get all scripture on you. But I mean, like, you know, uh, we are blessed. God said, I will bless you, Abraham, so that you can be a blessing. Not only to, to him and his family. And so many Christians live this small life and it's just all about what about my piece of pie? And what about my piece of pie? And it's just like God is looking for men who says, can I trust you? Can I trust you with more? Can I trust you with more? And most men are like, no, I'm just worried about my piece of pie. And he's like, all right, <laughs> maybe I'll find somebody else, you know, that wants to be a Joseph. And trust you in bigger things. Yeah. But I tell you, that's a crushing. <laughs> I know from experience. You get trusted with more, but you, you got to be really, that pride's got to get, that's a tough one to go. You know, the thing of it is, when it goes, life is so much easier. Oh, my gosh, so true. Listen to people more, you know? The things that your wife is telling you right now, and you're like, what is your problem? Leave me alone. <laughs> it's your pride. <laughs> and once you get rid of that pride, you're, you're able to hear your wife go, oh. I, oh, that's what you've been saying for years. <laughs> I tell the story in the book about how I was always late. I was always late, and the reason I was always late was because my time was more important than everybody else's time, because I was an arrogant jerk. And once, I never, tri- my wife used to tell me all the time, you're always late, what? and I'm sitting here in the restaurant waiting for you for half an hour, and, and I'm like, well, if you wouldn't be 15 minutes early, then you'd only been waiting for 15 minutes. <laughs> I mean, and then, as God broke me and humbled me, um, suddenly one day, but some people pointed out how I was always early, and I'm like, what in the world? And I, and I mentioned it to her, and she said, you've been early for years now. And I realized I didn't try to be, I, did, I wasn't early because I tried to be early. I was early because I got humbled and started to see other people's time as more valuable than my own. How dare I make somebody wait for me? And oh, so, wow. again, there are little things that tell us, the guideposts along the way that tell us where we are with Christ. One of the things that I've always told people, and I tell them to this day, people tell you who they are every day, and they tell you by what they do, not by what they say. Someone shows up late, now things happen, especially, you know, being from Southern California originally. There's traffic and you know, things, but um, I just showed up the other day three minutes late to a meeting because I always leave 15 minutes early and I got caught in a huge accident. Well, that 18 minutes that I sat there doing nothing allowed me to show up barely late, but that's the thing. I was, I was just barely late because I, should, I left early. But yeah. when someone shows up consistently late, they don't need to tell me anything else. They don't need to tell me how much they love Jesus, how great they are, how humble they are. They're arrogant jerk because they tell you who they are by what they do. Yeah. Well, Ken, it has been great and very insightful. I just want to thank you for being willing uh, against maybe your publisher's advice by putting this stuff in the, in the book because it's really what captured my heart was that okay here's a guy that that knows what this is really like when you're when you got people coming up to you saying hey I you know I mortgaged my house and I did this and I did this and they know it's all on you and you're I mean but God it was it really captured me and there's a lot of men that 
that need to hear what you have to say in this book, The Rise of the Servant Kings. And I highly, highly recommend, men, if you were aspiring to great things, you need to pick up this book. So thank you for coming on, Ken. Oh, appreciate it, man. Hey, how can people get in touch with you besides getting the book? Is there a way you, you have a website or look you up on Promise Keepers? Or how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, there's several. Um, they can go on riseoftheservantkings.com, and from there they can actually download two of the chapters for free if they're like, well, do I really want to you know, drop the 20 bucks on the book? And also the publisher was great, and they actually had a study guide written that they could download for free as well. So if guys read the book and they go, I'd like to read you know, lead a small group on this um you it's free to download that as well and then also you can get a hold of me directly through the website you can also go i know a lot of guys heard this and we're really a lot more interested in promise keepers you can go to promisekeepers.org and tickets go on sale on august 1st to the event but you can register for free and reserve tickets now and the reason is because we've had so much demand um, for the tickets, we didn't want guys have been waiting 10, 15 years to have the event sell out on them before they had a chance to buy tickets. So if you go on there, you can register for free and reserve, I think, up to five tickets per person. And what that does, it simply gives you the ability on July 31st, one day early, to go on and buy tickets before the general public does to make sure that you get some. That's great. Well, Ken, it was a pleasure to, to meet you. And uh, I look forward to seeing all that the Lord has is going to do through you in these upcoming years. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want more information on The Kindling Fire, go to our website, thekindlingfire.com. There you can learn how you can join the Fire Starters. That is a community that I'm sending free e-courses, Bible devotionals. We're doing special challenges to really help you guys move towards the dreams that God has placed in you. I'm also on Instagram at The Kindling Fire. And as always, be awesome.